Hey guys, we don't know me, my name is Josh, I'm a second year maths education student. Um, fun fact about me, I don't like Nutella. I'm not sure if that's a fun fact for some people. So the Bible reading today is from Genesis, the first book of the Bible, 1, 24 to 2 to 17. It's in leaflets, uh, if you want to read along, um, let's go for it. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it whole, because, God, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mix was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to the water to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And uh, and the gold of that land is good, bdellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. It's good to see you here. Thank you for uh, being here. And 
do hope that you, as you come along to Bible talks, that you hear the Bible explained uh, well, uh, to understand uh, what God is saying. You know, I mentioned last week, here at the Uni Bible Group, we hold that the Bible is God speaking to us. You don't have to believe that to come along and hear, but we're glad that you are here, especially if you've never been before, uh, if you're, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never read the Bible, we're very glad that you're here because this is the right place to be in discovering. Um, as you discover so many things about the world in your studies, discovering what the Bible has to say. Because it is, uh, we hold it that in God's Word, I'm going to pray, that is to ask God for help with understanding His Word. So I'm going to pray if you want to say Amen, which means I agree at the end, then we do. Well, thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for your word that you've given us here from Genesis 1 and 2. Please help us to understand what you would have us know. Please help me to be able to explain it clearly and well. We pray that we might be able to respond rightly in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember hearing a story about family where the elderly father had recently passed away and the sons going through their father's uh, earthly possessions discovered his credit cards. They thought he's, they're still active credit cards. And so they went out and dined out on their father. Uh, they bought gaming consoles and bought aeroplane tickets without realising that they're actually committing fraud, uh, nor realising that one day they would eventually have to pay that back uh, because they used their father's credit cards fraudulently, even though they thought this would be, they'd get away with this. Now that little story captures so much about how Western society uh, acts in relation to God. That is, We've declared the death of God as a, as a society uh, in history. We've declared the death of God. God is dead. God is no longer there, there, or there is no God. But we still live off the credit card of the God that we think that we've killed, such that most people, whether they're believers in God or not, put high value on things like human rights, equality, animal rights, environment, and compassion. But why do we value these things as humans? Why do we think these are things that humans should have? Where do these values come from? And why these particular ones? Why do we privilege these sorts of values over things such as, say, my personal autonomy, survival of the fittest, or convenience and efficiency? Why don't we value those things more than the other things that I just mentioned? And even if I'm a, a professor of some of these things, of, of human rights and animal rights and equality and compassion, and I advocate and agitate for these things, does it matter that if in my own private life I don't live that way? If in my own private life I choose to live completely opposite? Does that make any difference? Why do we seem to value consistency and integrity? 
Do you have to? If God is dead, uh, as Nietzsche said, we killed him, then there's no meaningful answer to the question, what is a human? Now, you don't need to be a Christian or believe in God to know that. In fact, it's the academic non-Christians who've been trying to educate society to think this way. And so some of you may have heard of uh, a man such as John Gray, written the book Straw Dogs. Uh, he is a professor of European thought. And he talks about Gaia theory. Gaia theory reestablishes the link between humans and the rest of nature, which was affirmed in mankind's primordial religion, animism. In monotheistic faiths, God is the final guarantee of meaning in human life. For Gaia, human life has no more meaning than the life of slime mould. Okay? Uh, that's John Gray. You may have heard of Peter Singer, who is a uh, ethicist, uh, was, uh, she's sorry, she still is, a professor of bioethics at Princeton University. And in his book, Practical Ethics, uh, he writes, those who protest against abortion but dine regularly on the bodies of chickens, pigs and calves show only a biased concern for the lives of members of our own species. For any fair comparison of morally relevant characteristics like rationality, self-consciousness, awareness, autonomy, pleasure and pain and so on, the calf, the pig and the much derided chicken come out well ahead of the fetus at any stage of pregnancy. While if we make a comparison with a fetus of less than three months, a fish would show more signs of consciousness. My suggestion then is that we accord the life of a fetus no greater value than the life of a non-human animal at any similar level of rationality, self-consciousness and awareness, etc. Now, these guys are not internet trolls on the fringe of society. Uh, they are professors in their, speaking out of their professional experience. This is their considered position, and they're trying to argue consistently from the premise, if they're actually trying to do rightly in their thinking, they're trying to argue from the premise that there is no God. There is nobody out there that is telling us what a human is and what a human should do, what humanity is like. They're, they're trying to just work from the ground up. And... They're saying, if you close the door on God and claim he's dead, then don't commit fraud and then just inject, just because you want to, all the things into humanity that you think should be there. But you've got no good reason for them to be there. Don't pretend that you are more special than the chair you're sitting on. Don't pretend you're more special than the coronavirus that's on the chair that you're sitting on. <laughs> And why don't we, why we, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Another voice that speaks into humanity, what humanity is, comes from Genesis. Uh, let us, and God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. We've read it in Genesis, and uh, last week and this week, humanity is described in the Bible as being in the image of God. We have to work out what that means. 
What does it mean to be in the image of God? Well, this is a chance where you get to have a little chat with the person next to you or around about you. Never thought about this before. That's good. If you've thought about this a lot, you can do this too. But what do you think it means that humanity is created in the image of God? I'll give you 30 seconds or so. Okay. Now, I'm not sure what things you uh, you said then. Uh, I'm not going to ask you, but it might show uh, your ignorance. Uh, it might show uh, that you know the answers that I'm about to try and share with you. Uh, it might. Well, let's have a look. What does it mean that man is created in the image of God? Genesis 1 doesn't actually say explicitly what it is. Uh, and theologians, people who study the Bible over millennia, have grappled with this issue, this question, what is it to be in the image of God? doesn't explicitly say. We have to make sure we don't claim too much for what the Bible says uh, and what it doesn't say. But there are some very strong hints that it gives us about what it means to be in the image of God. Because in that context of creating God in his image after his own likeness, we're told man is to rule over the creation. Well, actually, verse 26b, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the heavens, and over the livestock, and all over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In the context of being declared in the image of God, they're declared to be rulers having dominion. And just as God, as we saw last week, exercised dominion by creating the creation, forming and filling the creation, he has handed that over. He has given dominion to those who are in the image of God to uh, have dominion. And also in Genesis 2 verse 15, we're told, then the Lord God put him, the man, in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, you don't have with you there um, verse 19 of chapter 2, uh, but it says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. And so you can see here, or you can hear here, that humanity is naming things, labelling things, taxonomy, the, the naming and labelling of things, and it's what we do at university. We throw ourselves, this is what you're supposed to be doing, uh, you throw yourself into the study of this world to understand it and pick it apart and try and put it back together. I met a guy some years ago now who was a specialist in, he's in biology, a specialist in the digestive tract of a cockroach. He devoted his life and study that little thing. Uh, cool? Cool. It's what we do as humans amongst other things. It's the responsibility and authority of the man to rule, which involves understanding and caring 
responsibly for those under your rule. That's what rulers do. They, they shepherd, they care, they, they understand those who are under their rule. Notice, none of the beasts of the field are given this responsibility. None of the fish of the sea are given that responsibility. It's humans are, which is why it's humans who campaign to save the whales. You don't find the whales um, running save the humans um, campaign. Uh, as intelligent as whales are and as, as advanced as they seem to be, I'm told, they don't have, they don't, run campaigns to save humans. Schools of tuna don't study the African lion. Uh, humans have a unique position. And it's not because of our giftedness. It's not because of our intelligence. not because of our rationality, though all those things are true. It's not our, our function or utility, as it's called, our usefulness. It's a status that's given to those in the image of God, to the human. Now, it's very important that it's not our intelligence, our giftedness, uh, our um, function and utility to be able to do this. Because if that's what it means to be human, then what about those who don't function? What about those who, for whatever reason, their intelligence is non-existent. They are no longer human. They are no longer part of our ones that we call human. You can see where it's dangerous, isn't it? Humans are humans because God says they're in the image of God. And everyone is valued. It's a status that is given to God, uh, given by God to man. Now the second thing that you see in this passage as well is this rule and oh yeah so by the way if you like uh, far side um, there's taxonomy labeling things uh, that should clear a few things up around here uh, beautiful uh, probably some of your essays might look a bit like that uh, <laughs> the other thing is the relationship uh, within this creature called man or in the original it's Adam is the, is the word, means man, there is differentiation, not uniformity. So if you look at chapter 1, verse 27, that little indented bit towards the top. So God created, and I'll use the Hebrew word transliterated in, in here. Um, so God created Adam in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This little couple of lines of poetry, uh, you see something that's very interesting, that God creates male Adam and female Adam. Individually on their own, each one is Adam. Together as male and female, they are Adam. God creates uh, in his image uh, Adam who is complex, not simple, but their complexity uh, has one identity, Adam, or human. And so as the passage goes on, uh, Adam is used as, as man. And when you, when you start meeting the individual man, Adam, you have to work out, is he the 
individual atom or is it the atom-atom of everybody? You have to work that out. But it also tells us something about God within himself, that within God there is differentiation, not uniformity. Humanity made in the image of God, who we are complex, says something about what God is like. Now, it would be too much to say that this passage is teaching us about the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, God is three persons in one and yet one God. But here in Genesis 1, the framework is given and the language is given for what will become obvious later on in the Bible, that God in himself is complex. He is not a simplistic monad. He is a unity uh, of individuals who are on their own God, but together they are God. So humans, we rule like God, but we do so in this glorious, complex unity like God, not like a sim single, lonely thing. Now, I saw last week that the creation narrative happens in contrast to the worldviews of the time. And this understanding of humanity is in vast contrast, uh, strong contrast to the worldviews around about it. I talked about the Enuma Elish, which was an ancient Babylonian account of creation. The Enuma Elish goes on to say, talks about the creation of man. Marduk is the great god, and he says, I shall compact blood, I shall cause bones to be, I shall make stand a human being. Let man be its name. I shall create humankind. They shall bear the God's burdens that those may rest. Marduk then executed Quingu, the demon god, for his crimes and from his blood made humanity. There you go. So we, as humans, we are the blood product of a defeated god, a criminal god. There you go. Genesis 1 and 2 say, no, we are not the product of a dead God put in place to do the job for the gods so they can rest and do nothing. Nor are we slime mold. And on the same wavelength as slime mold, we have been made by God and placed in a noble and glorious position of having dominion over the creation. Now, before I move on, I, want to, I do want to give opportunity to ask questions. Big passages, uh, lots of things in them, and lots of things that come out of them. So I do want to give you opportunity to do that. Yeah, you might have some questions right now. You're like, yeah, I've got questions from last week or even from this week. Uh, you can ask them now. But I'll also try and give some time at the end soon to um, ask some questions. If I don't do that now, you won't get the opportunity. You may not get the opportunity later on. So, far away about anything we've talked about so far. Um, in 27, it said male and female be created. Then. Um, is this before Eden's actually? Where they said we need a helper. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Are you thinking about the timing? Question of timing. Yeah. Good question. You've got two accounts of the creation here, and uh, that's a great thing to notice. Is that chapter one, verse one, through to chapter two, verse three? One of the original um, publishers put a break 
where they did in chapter two. Um, that is the first account of creation. That's like a big picture account of creation. What you've got then from chapter two, verse four onwards, and you can see this is the heading that the writer of Genesis uses all the way through Genesis. These are the generations of. Well, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. So now you, that gives you the signal that this is a new account in Genesis. So it's a different account. And so what I think you've got here without going into all the details is chapter 1, 1 through to 2, 3 is the big picture of creation. Then you've got sort of like a, a replaying of that down on a narrowing in on the Garden of Eden where God actually creates the garden and puts the man in the garden. Um, and so, yeah, that, I think that's why you've got the difference. Yeah. I agree with that. You agree with that? <laughs> All right, yeah. yeah. Um, when you do get that narrowing in account in chapter two, right, um, it talks about how God breathed life into Adam and when he formed him out of the dust. Is there a correlation between being made in the image of God and God breathing life into mankind as opposed to the rest of creation? Uh, he... he I think it's, it's only man who's described as having life breathed into him by God, but other animals, uh, other creatures, have the breath of life in them. Uh, and so uh, it's not exclusive to um, humanity, but the God breathing himself, breathing into humanity is unique. Uh, and I think it does, because the word for breath in the Hebrew is the same word for spirit. And so, and also wind as well. So, uh, humans have the spirit of God um, in them. Where you got to then trace that through. What's that? Is that they mean spirit or breath? Or yeah. thanks, John. Good question. I'm going to push this on uh, because we want to see where where does this go. I said last week that these chapters form a basis for the rest of the Bible. The themes and uh, Throughout chapter and the words throughout chapter one and two reverberate through the rest of the Bible, and so what do we find when we look at the rest of the Bible about this dominion from creation? Well, it goes very quiet. In fact, there's only one other place in the Old Testament where there is a connection between Genesis one and two in relation to human dominion over creation. Not there. Um, it is in Psalm 8. You can get a little bit closer. I'm for you. Some of you will know this well. Picking up from verse 3, this is David speaking. Probably done his daily quiet time in Genesis 1 and 2. And this is what he reads. When I look at your heavens, and you've gone out to look at the heavens after that, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Here's the only other place in the Old Testament where this dominion thing is picked up very explicitly from Genesis 1 and 2. And David reflects on it and goes, wow, what is man that you're mindful of? You're puny man that you've put him in this position. 
Well, it's not until you get to the New Testament that this idea of human dominion in creation is picked up. And it actually only occurs about three times. Ephesians 1, 1 Corinthians 15, sorry, I don't have the verse of that, I should get that for you. Ephesians 1, 1 Corinthians 15, and Hebrews 2. And all of them don't speak about humanity. All of them speak about something else. Sorry, I'm being a bit cryptic there, but I'll read it for you. This is in the book of Hebrews, which is after Jesus' um, death and resurrection. And we're told by the writer of Hebrews, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It has been testified somewhere, well, it's Psalm 8, we know it's Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honour, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Here's the writer of the Hebrews. He says, Genesis 1 and 2, and what David's marvelling about in Psalm 8, it actually doesn't happen. It has not happened. And you don't have to be Einstein to realise that we do not have creation subject to us. I mean, we, we give it a good crack, but it, we just do it badly and we, we fail. The writer of the Hebrews gets it. But what does he say? Verse 9, But we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. What's he saying here? Well, Adams, collectively and individually, have failed as image bearers. But there is one who hasn't failed. We see Jesus. And those other two passages, Ephesians 1 and 1 Corinthians 15, say the same thing. We talk about the dominion of Jesus over the creation and over all, the whole universe. That is, the fulfilment of Genesis 1 and 2 is not seen in us humans. It's not fulfilled as we go about our study endeavours work endeavours as we subdue the creation with our minds or with our hands or whatever it is, it's not fulfilled in that. That is not where it's going. The New Testament says that the only human, the only one who is the true human, is Jesus. Now we can think, if you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, that the, the important thing about him is that he is God. And that is true. But the important thing that goes with that, which you can't lose, that he is human. That is, he's a human on our behalf. He's the human who rules in a humanely way, in a way that we never could. He's a human that is pleasing to God in a way that we've never been able to do and never will be without him. The thing is, you've got to grasp, is that humanity finds its fulfilment in Jesus. 
you find your humanity in Jesus. That's the message of God in the Bible. We saw it last week. Uh, I don't have it for you on the screen, though. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He's not in the image of God. He is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Jesus is where God shows true humanity. And Jesus is the only place where God is renewing the universe and bringing about his new order. Now that has a lot of implications for then how we think about ourselves in this world. Uh, You need to take that little sentence away and chew on that. Or come to team one day and James will unpack that because we do a thing on, on work. How does our work, one day, not, we're not doing it coming up, but we'll do it for one day. That's where I have to come back next year. <laughs> but the message here is that you can be a part of that, <coughs> even though you're not Jesus. That is, you can align yourself with Jesus. You can put your trust in him as the representative, the true human. And many of you in this room have done that exact thing. It begins with recognising who Jesus is and answering that question of who is Jesus and coming to grips with that, with who he claims to be, to be the true human leading God's new humanity. And if you don't have a clear evidence-based answer on who Jesus is, then get an answer, like you're doing with many other things here at university. It's super easy. Get Mark's Gospel. I don't have one in my hand right now. Get Mark's Gospel, a biography of Jesus, and read it as an adult, which sets out who Jesus is. You can read it in a single afternoon, and you can make a decision as an adult about who Jesus is. If he's just an ordinary man and nothing more, then you've lost an afternoon. But if he is God's man, through whom he is renewing the universe, including you and me, then join with him. The collective Adam, as it stands, thinks that our pinnacle is to assess ourselves as something more like slime mold. The true human, the true Adam in Jesus, wants to bring us into relationship with God. You need to work that out. Make sure you do that today. There's a little box that I'll commend to you again this week uh, on your feedback forms. It's the bottom box. I'd like to talk with someone about today's talk. Or I'd like to read the Bible with someone using Mark's Gospel. If that's, you don't, don't leave without that question answered clearly, without some put some things in place. But if you are aligned with Jesus trusting Jesus as the true human representing us to God, then what are you doing to live like him? 
How's that affecting the way you think about what you're doing in that meeting? I'm going to lead us in prayer. We might have a moment for a short question and then we'll pray again. Pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've shown us in Genesis 1 and 2 and throughout the Bible about being human. Thank you that you have sent Jesus as the true human in your image, who is your image, in a way that we have failed to be. Thank you for sending him so that we can have a right relationship with you. Pray for those who don't know Jesus as the true human, as the Lord that you provided, that we would work that out and understand and be able to follow him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We have like a minute. We've got a minute before we pray. Yep. You think you almost defied the sin, but have an authority over every nature like you realize government from you think that you have the same power over every nature or anything. Yeah, could Adam and Eve before the fall or before they even like there was I don't think there was a stroke or something. Yeah. But they have the power of nature. Uh, I think they probably had more um, power than what we probably actually understood. They, you get a little glimpse of it in Genesis uh, 10, I think it is, or 9. Uh, it's when they build the Tower of Babel. And this is after the fall. But humanity, um, God recognises as humans build the tower in rebellion against him, that if they can do this without a language barrier, then there's nothing that they won't be able to achieve. Uh, God has a quite a high estimation, even of fallen humans' ability, and then he confuses the language. Uh, so I, I think that there's, a, actually, there's probably quite a lot that they probably could do that we can't. Okay, we're going to pray. We're going to do some prayer. Uh, Lucy's going to lead us in prayer. Um, hi, my name is Lucy. I'm a second year currently as student, and I'm going to pray for us today. Prayer is talking to God. Um, this year we're praying in four categories. So we've got encouragement, evangelism, training, and sending. They're the four ways we seek to proclaim Christ at university and everywhere to present everyone mature in So please join me as we pray together. Dear God, we thank you for the encouragement we have each week of meeting together to look at your word. We thank you that Jesus is your image and help us to continue to grapple with this. Help us to trust Jesus and look to him in all things. We also thank you for the encouragement um, at various uni Bible group socials we've had in the last few weeks. We thank you for the good connections made, and we pray we can continue to support and encourage each other with the good news about Jesus. Uh, we also thank you for Club's Day today, and we pray that so many people will consider the hope we have in Jesus. We pray that conversations had today will provoke people to look into Christianity. Thanks so much for faculty Bible groups, and the chance to grow in the Bible together. Thank you that we can do this freely at university. 
and I pray you will continue to be trained and strengthened in our knowledge of your word as we meet together each week. This week, we pray for the Khoibri peoples in northwest India. God, in a place where the gospel is not taught or even heard of, we pray that these people might long for the forgiveness and new life that only you can bring. We pray that you would make yourself known to the Khoibri people so they'll be filled with sure hope of life with you forever. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.